episode 148. And welcome to Dharmic Evolution. Hey everybody, thanks for being here today. I just want to mention to you guys, um, I've seen you posting on Dharmic Evolution Facebook community page. Thank you, thank you, this is awesome. And uh, a lot of you guys don't know that you can do this. If you're an artist especially, put your content up there. Let the world know about you and what you're up to. You know, have you done a new album, a new single, video? You're touring somewhere? Or just want to say hello? Go over to Dharmic Evolution Facebook community page and let us know you're alive. Hey, um, do you know about uh, the James O'Connor Agency YouTube channel? Well, we're out there in all our brand new glorious video and we're having a kick-ass time of it. We just put up Australian artist Lisa Crouch who shared some great stories and music. So go over there, please subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, you don't get this kind of a show. I haven't seen anybody else doing this, so we're very proud of this. So please subscribe to the channel. Check out our first, second, and third episode, and we're going to start having them weekly now. So it's really, really getting cool. And in addition to that, of course, we've got the podcast that is on iTunes. It's on SoundCloud. It's on our website, and it's in 67 countries and counting. Well, today we are in the fabulous United Kingdom. And for those of you uh, who know me on this show, I am always delighted and fascinated to be in another country. Bringing you talent from other countries is what I live for. Uh, And today we have legendary producer who was with Elton at the beginning, Jimmy Page, Bill Wyman, Oasis, Led Zeppelin, Kiki D, George Harrison, Bad Company, Barry White, and the list goes on and on. It's the music and stories of the legendary Stuart Epps. You better strap up your seatbelt and let's go for a ride. We have got some great news for you. There is a brand new musical act out on the airwaves called Mercy. This is something that you have never heard before. It's spiritual. It's the truth unleashed with scripture delivered by chaplain Christine Mercy, along with drums, guitars, pianos, violins, and vocals from singer-songwriter James Kevin O'Connor. Yes, a little bit of heaven on earth. And just in time, behold, it's the brand new album from Mercy titled I Am Victorious. Yes, Jesus came, he saw, he taught, he preached, he healed, he suffered unimaginable torture, and not only defeated the evils of Satan, but he won the entire war for the entire world. And as he stated in the song, I'm going home, back to the throne, victorious, it's glorious. I've many rooms in my father's house for all of us, it's glorious. Learn to trust in his name. I Am Victorious, the new album is out now and available on iTunes, Amazon, and CD Baby. Just recorded in the Music City on the world-famous Music Row in Nashville, Tennessee. Download the album or pick up the actual CD copy of I Am Victorious right now on iTunes, Amazon, and CD Baby. And keep your eyes and ears open for the live performance tour of Mercy coming soon. Featuring Come, Amen, Bless You. I'm afraid it is finished. And yes, the title track, I Am Victorious. Available right now. Go to Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby and download your copy of I Am Victorious today. And keep your eyes and ears open for the new band, Mercy, coming to a venue near you soon. This message is sponsored by the James O'Connor Agency. Agency. 
It's really, really awesome to have you here today. Stuart Epps, the legendary music producer uh, from Great Britain. And uh, Stuart, what can I say but welcome to Dharmic Evolution. Well, welcome uh, to you, James. Nice to be talking to you. Listen, it's... Yeah, it is. It's amazing the legacy of work you have done, and I just have to comment to say that um, you first came on my radar not only as as a young man growing up listening to your work, unbeknownst to me, but in the last year, uh, several artists have come up on my screen. That um, uh, Kevin Gullickson for one, and uh, Christine Custody is another, and it might be somebody else. But you had done some work with these artists, and um, I was so delighted to hear that. You know, not only have you done the uh, the legends of music, but but you're also out there helping indie artists to uh, get their voices heard, and um, you know, lending your your unbelievable um, legacy of prowess in the music business to these people. And uh, my hat's off to you, and I don't have a hat, but you do. So here we go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, that's very nice of you to say so. I mean, a lot of the artists that um. Uh, uh, possibly, well, they are, they're sort of greats now, if you're talking about Elton John and um, Jimmy Page, uh, but when I actually was working with them, actually not in the case of Jimmy, they were really pretty big, but certainly in the case of Elton, he was an unknown unknown artist when I first started working with him, so people have got to start, everyone's got to start somewhere, Right. and uh, you know, I'm well used to, really, it doesn't seem that long ago that the those artists that became sort of huge uh, was starting out and the problems that they they faced. So, you know, when you're working with a new artist, um, it's a great thing to be able to instantly go back to an artist possibly similar to them and, and tell them what that artist went through uh, in order to help them progress, you know. Right, right. So how did it start for you, Stuart? Like when you were... Uh you know, uh, a youngster and you were growing up, how did you get, first of all, first and foremost, I know you're a musician, but how did it all start for you? How did you get pulled into the world of music, your, your very beginnings? Yeah, well, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't difficult. It wasn't by my own doing. My, my dad, a uh, great guy, was um, really into, not only into music, uh, when I was, well, when I was born, really, uh, he was already into music, but also into sound. You know, he was very into sound technology, even though we're talking about the beginning of the 1950s. So, um, you know, I suppose one of my earliest uh, memories is he, I was about four or five, and he said, look, son, you know, sit here in front of the TV, and next to the TV, he'd place the radio, and I'm thinking, what is he doing here? Anyway, apparently it was the first broadcast of stereo sound, and they had one half of the stereo on the radio and one half of the stereo on the TV, and there was some guy, you know, demonstrating this new technology in sound, which was going to be called stereo, and, you know, it might be he was talking on one speaker and then he'd be talking on the other speaker. So as a little kid, it was like a, a great sort of amazing thing. You know, it was a bit sort of science fiction now, but, you know, it was a, it was that was probably my introduction. Anyway, following that, he went out and bought one of the first uh, stereo radiograms, they were called. And we had uh, two big speakers in the room and he then bought the first stereo record, which was called A Journey Into Stereophonic Sound on the Decca label. And, you know, next minute we've got this volume wound up. He's got the volume wound up and we're uh, 
listening to racing cars roaring around the room and people playing tennis going ping on one speaker and pong on the other you know? <laughs> so so it was unlikely that i wasn't going to grow up with them um, you know early days really into the sound anyway right um, plus the plus the fact that i like to sing from an early age and, and he bought me a guitar he also was into tape machines so he sort of got uh, you know, he'd given me a tape machine to mess around on, a big sort of two-track. Actually, it was probably a one-track. I don't think it was a two-track. It was probably a mono tape machine with great big electronic eyes, you know, for the um, for the metering. I mean, everything to do with it, I just thought this is great. Plus the fact, you know, when I first spoke into the microphone or made noises into a microphone and then you play it back, and you hear the same thing, you know, I mean, it's... Yeah, and it's you magic, say, who was it? that voice? Like, that, who that, is that? that's not me so saying that. <laughs> so it's just, it's just sort of magic happening. So I was addicted to that, and then I used to tape the um, top 20 radio shows and, you know, always listening to music. I mean, I joined bands from a very early age and started messing around recording at uh, friends' houses on Revox tape machines. But my best mate, uh, Clive Franks, uh, was the first one to get a job, and he actually got this job working for Dick James Music in uh, New Oxford Street, and we were very, very jealous, to say the least, of this guy's job. He, I was in bands with Clive, so a couple of years older than me, and he was now the office boy at Dick James Music, 71 to 75 New Oxford Street. Uh, one, of the, one of the bands that was signed to Dick James was the Beatles, so not bad. You were, you were <laughs> starting to keep good company very early. Yeah, it was all amazing. It's only been downhill since then, really, but <laughs> I mean, what, a, what a start. So he used to come back with all these stories. When he joined Dick James was when they released the Sgt. Pepper album. You know, we're talking about over 50 years ago now. Right. And you know, it was actually him that took the, took the sleeve to the printers and, you know, he had a peek inside the envelope of the actual original artwork. But he had stories every day, you know, of... Uh, having to go to Paul McCartney's house and, you know, John Lennon was in the studio yesterday. So we were just, it was all jealous, really, all jealousy. Right, but right. he had to move on, what he wanted to move on from being office boy to start doing something else in the organization. And he said, oh, he's got to go and look around for um, someone to take his place, or actually he wasn't looking around. But he said there was, a, there was a, an opening there. So I didn't need much. It wasn't a very difficult thought process. I need that job. You know, I want to get, yeah, but I was only, I was only 14. So I thought my dad would make a fuss, you know, you got to stay at school, you got to go to college, you got to do this, but he didn't actually, he said, listen, if you're not happy at school, you know, do, it's, just do what you want to do. So I didn't need much further conversation about that. I went for an interview at Dick James music. I got the job as office boy, which wasn't too difficult. You didn't really need many, qualifications other than just saying that you're into music and not looking like an idiot i suppose but uh, <laughs> so i started started working 50 years ago in fact it's 50 years ago pretty much this month i would say that i started working for dick james in new oxford street and that was the beginning of my uh, music uh, business career really and well they were just amazing times really it was um even though I was the lowest of the low and have to clean the toilets and coffee machines and take everyone's orders for sandwiches. And it didn't matter because, you know, um, 
there were these incredible characters that I was meeting um, immediately, one of whom was called Reginald Twenit. Reginald Kenneth Dwight, let me get that right, Right. who, as I'm sure you know, is Elton John. Right. So he was only one of the people I met, but, you know, he was, I was 15, he was 21, and this mad guy, um, you know, I've got a song to play, see what you think of this song, Stuart, you know, sits down, plays you these magnificent tunes, really, and I'd never heard anything quite like that before. So I would say almost almost every day was... um, an eye opener and an ear opener to new sounds, to new personalities, um, an incredible start in the music business, really. Well, I can't, I gotta say, you know, I gotta just commend your father for, because, uh, he allowed you to seek your path rather than just say, no, no, the, the rule is you go to school. I mean, yeah. look, look what, look what you did for so many artists. And speaking of so many artists, I want to circle back to this conversation, but let's talk about, Who's new on the horizon? So I'd like to play this first one, but I'd like you to set it up. Right, love, wrong time. Now, who is this artist, Stuart? Well, I get, uh, you know, I'm sort of out there on the Internet. So people get in touch with me, you know, from all sorts of uh, places and across the country. But this came from a couple that live out uh, in the country in England and in, in, uh, in the south. And um, it's really their daughter. His name is Erin who is, um, I, I think she's only 14 years old or something like that. Erin Boomer. And, uh, yeah, and they sent me a demo, and I just thought, well, it was obviously very impressive, impressive. Her voice was very impressive. and But more than that, you know, I thought the song, I thought the song written by a 14-year-old was very good, really. It's got uh, good structure, you know, and so it wasn't difficult to agree to work with her. And we did this recording up in... Um, a studio I use in the, in the north called Prism Studios. And, yeah, I think it turned out well. They're happy with it. I think she's working on a – she's a very uh, good-looking girl, and they're working on a video at the moment to go with it. And um, what's it called? Not, oh, awesome. It's called uh, Right Love, Wrong Time. So let's take a yeah. spin into the world of Stuart Epps. Here we go. Right Love, Wrong Time. Erin Why whenever it comes to love, do I always fall alone? Why whenever you come near me, does my heart beat so fast? But now the bass is picking up and I can't slow it down and I find my mind racing
Yeah, what a, what a voice, man. So innocent and a beautiful, um, ethereal sound to what she's doing. I just really love that that vibe. Um, yeah. yeah, Aaron Boomer, that was, and one of Stewart's latest. Hey, we were just talking, for some of you folks who are on the video, on the uh, James O'Connor Agency YouTube channel, you can see the microphone that Stewart's using, and we were just talking about this, and tell us, tell us where this mic came from, Stu. <laughs> Yeah, well, the Rolling Stones um, in the early 70s had their own um, mobile recording studio. And um, this actually came from it because I worked with Bill Wyman from the Stones for about 20, 30 years. And he owned the mobile and was um, was selling it. So, um, you know, I was very happy to get it. It's probably had David Bowie, Mick Jagger, all sorts of people from that era singing in it. And... Um, it's a great, uh, it's not a normal AKG, it's a C12, so it's got a, you know, it's got a tube in it, you know, which makes it of a bit of a softer sound. Yeah, you got that uh, warmth uh, to it, yeah. You know, I used it on every one of the vocals on, on Bill Wyman and the Rhythm Kings um, albums and every one that, I haven't really found anyone yet that's not got a, uh, who's got, not got a great voice that has sounded great in it, you know. Right. I mean, if you if you haven't got a great voice, I think that it's not really going to make much difference no matter what mic you use, you know, it's right. not going to make a difference. But um, no, I love it. It's a great microphone. Yeah, just looking for those edges when you're recording. I know, like you said, if the talent's there, just giving that, that little edge. And also, it makes you sing better because you're, you're appreciating the warmth of the sound too, you know? Yeah. Hey, I just want to also mention to people, and, and I don't know if you've heard this yet, but I've been talking on this show for the last two years about vinyl and its comeback. It's slowly, like you hear about artists saying, yeah, we're pressing vinyl. Well, Sony, for those of you who don't know this, uh, just uh, did a press release, I think it was about two weeks ago, um, that they are committing to vinyl in a big way. So it's coming back with the support of one of the largest record companies in the world right now. Uh, they're ramping up to start doing vinyl. So, so here come the 60s all over again, and I couldn't be happier. What do you think about this, Stu? It's a good question. I mean, anything that furthers, um, you know, the sales of records or the interests of maybe old records that are going to be re-released in vinyl. Elton's releasing all his albums in vinyl again. I mean, obviously, that's a good thing. Uh, I'm not crazy about, um, you know, the, the the process, the the actual, you know, digital, when digital came out or when DAT came out, DAT and you know, we were all very, very happy. My my records were in a terrible mess. They're all scratched to bits. Right. <clears throat> you know, I gave them a lot of them away. They're either warped. You leave them in the sun. You know. Yeah. So, so when CDs came out, what a great thing! And digital basically is great. I think the main thing that I like about um, vinyl, to be honest, is this: is the size and then the sleeve. You know, that that's yeah. what I miss. Yeah. I miss that the most, and I. I think more of more value would be the sleeve rather than what was in it. I'm not crazy about, um, you know, record decks as opposed to digital. I think, you know, digital is better and CD is better. I but, agree. Yeah. I think socially that's where we missed the mark because people never take the time when CDs came out. It's like I, I never saw a picture. I never read the liner notes. I don't know anything about the engineers, the producers. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about anything because I didn't go over to my friend's house and have a, 
a record party where we would sit for hours and just like take the thing apart, yeah. look at the photos, and you know, it was all Absolutely. cool and then. Yeah, I mean, I was involved uh, when I, I was telling you that I worked for Dick James, and um, when I was um, eight, uh, probably 17 years old, I started working with Steve Brown, who more or less discovered Elton, and we were involved in <clears throat> not only Elton's, but everything to do with the record company. So I was involved in all the, everything to do with record sleeves. I helped uh, put together all Elton's record sleeves in those days, and we used to spend days, weeks, maybe months working on the sleeves, uh, working on the credits. I used to check all the lyrics. You know, that was a great job, actually. You had to make sure that every lyric on Elton's albums was what he was singing and not what just what he wrote, which sometimes might be different. Right. So they were complete works of art that we spent a lot of time and money making sure that they were, you know, up to the same quality as the as the music really it was it was as important and i think that's really got um yeah i mean you still get great sleeves for cds but they're such in such small format that you can't really appreciate a photo in the same way or the credits in the same way i don't think you know so yeah i've seen major artists release like major major artists i won't name any names but where i could not physically read the, right. the i couldn't read the lyrics it was like yeah. such little thought went into it and it's almost like kind of a slap in the face to like the, you know your lyrics don't matter it's like who, who cares yeah. you know which is which is kind of a shame hey i want to play another one here this is automania tell us about this huh. project what's going on with this one well i'm pleased that you, you i mean actually this is a complete first for you james because i only recorded this at the weekend <laughs> All right. Now, this is a man who is current. No dust under your shoes, my friend. <laughs> no, I just I just did this mix for you. Uh -huh. You might you might not believe this, but I can tell you it is true. I just did this mix for you at about 10 o'clock last night. Now, the thing is that this guy, <clears throat> he's just turned 17. His name's uh, Ant Campo is his name. Ant Campo. Anthony. Okay. And, uh, He's probably one of the most amazing guitarists I've come across uh, in quite a few years, actually, for someone of such a young age. I mean, what you're, what you're hearing here is a, is a riff that he wrote, and it's basically an instrumental um, based around a riff. And uh, if the, all the guitars are him. It's, it's actually it's all him other than the drums, who is um, Johnny Martyr on the drums. But we, we literally just did this at the weekend, and we're going to start on an album now, but... Um, He's incredibly talented guitarist. Brilliant. All right. Well, let's listen to this man, Ant Cambo, and here it is, Automania. <laughs>
right, Automania. Now that is really, really some serious shredding. So uh, unbelievable. Um, great artist. I think you're going to have a lot of success with Ant Campbell. You know, congratulations on that. And uh, we were just talking about, um, you know, legendary guitar players and how um, some of the younger people are really, really taken with uh, classic rock and, and albums and bands that are decades and decades old, but still fresh in the minds of young people. Yeah, pretty, pretty amazing, huh? Yeah, it is pretty amazing. Bit of a miracle, really. Yeah. And I was just saying that it's a testament to people like yourself, Stuart, who were um, who were committed to, you know, quality artists and quality artists who were committed to getting great sound. And, you know, that whole thing just turned into something that I don't think will ever get old and never die. Obviously, it's tested, you know, been tested through time and held itself together really, really well. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely times in the 80s when it looked like I was only talking about this over the weekend to this young guy where it definitely looked like it, when electronic music was being invented um, and, you know, keyboards, more technical keyboards were coming out every day and then samplers were being invented and, uh, you know, drummers, it looked like that was the end of the road for them. And it looked like really that's what that's the way that uh, that music was going to go electronically. And, uh, you know, I'm was pretty sure there wouldn't be guitars around there wouldn't be maybe pianos around or drummers would definitely be a thing of the past and it just didn't happen that way you know it's it's, it's uh, well it is amazing but um one way or another kids people still want to play those instruments you know they still get the vibe off it and they still want to learn and so therefore that music that was um kind of started off you know rock music from the late 50s and blues music has just carried on in the same way as i guess classical music has has stood the test of time which is a good testimony testimony to that music that was created then really which uh, yeah i mean when you're making it and when you're involved in in recording you don't think about whether it's going to last you know you think it would be like everything else that it would be superseded but somehow it obviously was a bit special in it and it's carried on, like you say. Yeah, I remember. I remember uh, along those lines, my aunt telling me, you know, this was back in the '80s, and she said, "I just read this article, and this man's the smartest man in music, and he's saying how the keyboard is going to dominate, and you know, uh, the guitar is going to just kind of fade." And I just, I remember shaking my head, saying, "I disagree, because you'll never get mm. rid of the, the guitar. Is too visual, and there's too mm. many things you can do with it. Uh, I don't care how many." sounds a keyboard makes every guitarist is so specially gifted in his way of expression like people talk about um david gilmore for example they're at his big article everybody's trying to emulate his sound and it's like it's not so much the equipment the equipment plays a major part but it's his attack and his approach and his very very special you know attenuations on the strings and what he does with it and his phrasing and all that combined, you know. So I, I never thought the guitar would go away. And God bless, uh, God bless everybody for still playing. <laughs> yeah, you're not a guitarist by any chance, are you? Uh, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> it's in your blood, you know. I tell you, the last few years I've I focused more on singing and songwriting, um, as a, because there's so many wonderful, gifted guitar players that. I can kind of express what I'm trying to do through through the gifts of others, 
and really focus on the things that I'm supposed to, you know, it's called staying in your genius zone, you know, which you know all about, obviously. And uh, I think that's important to do that is um, you can't be all things to all, you know, all, all instruments all the time. So your time is very, very special, you know? Yeah. You know, I think it's almost time to work together with Stuart between his talents in the studio and at AKG 4014, I think a trip to England is my, in my not-so-distant future. What do you think? Right back to Stuart's story after this. Are you a singer, songwriter, artist, or author? Are you in need of a platform for your career? Well, the James O'Connor Agency is in the business of helping you broadcast your global career. If you are needing to expand your presence in a big way, such as having your music and your voice heard around the world, well, look no further. We have the platforms here to help you catapult your career like no one else can. Your artistry can be featured around the world on the James O'Connor Agency YouTube channel. Here at the James O'Connor Agency, we can expand your global career by being a featured guest on Dharmic Evolution for singer-songwriters and everyone in the entertainment industry. Or the James O'Connor Show, designed for authors, speakers, and thought leaders. Both shows are international radio, TV shows, and podcasts. Go to the JamesO'ConnorAgency.com and find out what we can do for your global career right now. Hey, so tell me about your studio setup. Now, you mentioned you you do you were at this uh, studio in the north of England, but uh, home for you is is where are you near London? You in London or? Yeah, no, I'm in uh, a small village um, by American standards anyway, called Cookham. Cookham. Okay. Uh, which is in Berkshire. It's on the River Thames. You know the River Thames. That's, oh yeah. Uh, not far from here is Windsor. Windsor Castle, where the Queen lives. Okay. But, um, you know, the history is that Elton John's producer, Gus Dudgeon, um, came to Cookham in uh, about 1973 to build a studio, uh, which was called the Mill Studios, the Soul Studios. And that's when I started working with him uh, to build the studio in the first place. And it was really the, the most amazing um, technologically advanced studio of the time, definitely. And it had always been his dream to build this. And that's not where I am at the moment. That's just um, a couple of miles down the road. Unfortunately, it's no longer studio now. But this is the the place where then Jimmy Page bought that in the early eighties, and I went to work with him, and we did Zeppelin albums. And um, Bill Wyman came there, George Harrison, all sorts of great people. So, you know, I made Cook my home at that time, which is now over forty years ago, and I've just. Uh, Loved it ever since, and although I've had other studios since then, I've now got this, uh, the room where I am at the moment is my studio now here. Right. And actually, it's, it's probably my favorite studio. I mean, it's not, it's only small, you know, it's uh, nowhere near as big as um, The Mill or, or other studios. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's got a great sound. I, I, I use much less technology than I used to use, and uh, seems to work well. Sometimes I was... I used to use the technology a bit too much, really. Every time a new reverb or a new compressor was invented, you know, you'd want to use it. So I found that less is definitely better. 
Yeah, you need uh, extra room for that plate reverb, don't you? You got to have a whole <laughs> bedroom set up. I uh, do. Yeah, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I've had you know I've had echo plates, but you know, um, I think it's it's like what you was it's like what you were saying actually about guitar players. You know, um, it doesn't matter whether it's 50 people play the same Les Paul or Fender; they're all going to sound different. Yeah, and it's how. You, it's how you use the instrument it's the same with studio technology it's not how much you've got or how many you know things that you use it's how you use them and how you put them together as an engineer or producer that matters and that's not only that it's not the technology necessarily i mean you need a certain amount yeah of technology but it's definitely not um the reason why something is great so anyway this this room actually has just worked out well i do a lot of mixing uh, mainly do a lot of mixing and mastering and adding to production here. And I'm, yeah, I'm working with a lot of, um, basically, obviously, since the equipment has got smaller, you know, there's so many more bands and artists that have got their own home studios. So right. also with the internet now, I'm, you're able to converse and talk to and actually work with artists from around the world, you know? So, yeah, you know, I've, I've sort of started doing this thing. I, I could, you know, it's been going a long time. I call it remote producing. Right. And artists, wherever they are in Australia, in the States, in other countries of Europe, send me their home recordings. And then uh, I'll add to that, if necessary, using production and using um, other musicians. Maybe they need drums or whatever it needs anyway to turn their home recordings into professional um, releasable recordings productions right which is a whole new whole new thing although i've been doing it a little while now and this this studio is perfect for that yeah uh, you know if i'm working with a band or a, a larger um, group of musicians you know then I, the studios in london there's i was lucky enough to work at abbey road a little while ago there's um there's rack studios and because there's <clears throat> a lot of studios excuse me have, have closed down over the last few years you know sadly yeah sadly they're much fewer than they were but there's still um there's still some great studios around so because it's not big enough in here for a live band and certainly the people in the village wouldn't be too happy if i right. had heavy <laughs> yeah I, I get the feeling that you like being uh being chill and a little bit out of the city you like you like the quiet uh quiet uh, yeah you know you know, I've been here a long time now. It's 40 years since I've been in Cookham. Uh-huh. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I can get it. I can walk out of the door and in five minutes I'm in a most beautiful uh, location on, you know, there's rivers, there's the river, there's streams. And, you know, I like village life. I know everyone in the village now and they, they know me. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not crazy about big cities, although, you know, I toured America in the in the 70s with Elton. Right. And, um well, I love the states. Absolutely love where you are. And yeah, thank you, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I don't. Well, I, actually, what city are you in? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm in New Jersey, actually. So I'm about 45 minutes from from Manhattan. But I'm. I'm in the same uh, kind of vibe that you're in, which is I like very chill. I'm on this like 80 acre place, which is not mine, uh, but it's just the perfect writer's paradise. You know, it's quiet, brilliant. and I kind of love all that. Hey, uh, I got a what's the What's the town? What's the town? Uh, this, it's um, um, Mendham, New Jersey, oh, yeah, which right. is outside of Morristown, actually. Yeah, so it's yeah. kind of north, north Jersey, northwest Jersey. 
Hey, I got another special guest here that we got to put up, and uh, this song is called Bring It On Home. Can you introduce us to this artist? Because uh, I think we need to share this with a lot of people. Well, yeah, I can actually, <laughs> actually she's, down, she's downstairs at the moment. And this artist is my wife, uh, Juliet, Juliet Goff, when I met her, and now she's Juliet Epps. And um, yeah, I mean, we met, it's a great story, and I won't go into the, every detail of it, but I'm sure you remember that there was um, a music site called, um, actually, I've got to remember what it was called. What was the very first big music site called? Music, uh, it wasn't Music X-Ray. I can't remember what it was called now. Do you remember what it was called? It was uh, like the, the very first. Uh, it slipped in my mind, but I, but I know what you're, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. And it just uh, got dominated by Spotify and everybody else. Um, yeah, yeah, but it, it was, it was MySpace. It was, what, MySpace. MySpace. Yeah, well, and they're still around because I've asked people on this show: yeah. is, Are they still around? Because I thought they just evaporated, but they're still out there. Yeah. So um, we're not sure whose music, who saw whose music, but anyway, I had some of my songs up there, and Juliet had a couple of hers. And apart from her music, she also had a photo, and that was what took my uh, concentration much more. Uh, straight away in fact I thought that's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen and uh, definitely got to know this lady but anyway she heard one of my songs and wanted to record it um, so you know I, I kept quiet about what I felt about her personally and she ended up coming to uh, England and we recorded the song and uh, anyway that was uh, six years ago we were married this was actually 11 years ago that we met and we you know we've been getting on brilliantly ever since but she's also a singer songwriter so we uh we sing together we play concerts together and on this occasion um i recorded this song with her which is a cover version of a actually it's probably an old song but the one that i remember mainly is the animals recorded the song and uh, it's called bring it on home here we go with julia epps bring it on home If you ever change your mind about leaving, leaving me behind, oh, bring it to me, bring your sweet I laughed when you laughed. 
Great song, great production, oh, really, really awesome. Um, so this was a, this was a very, very good marriage on many levels, right, Stuart? <laughs> well, you just you just said it. An angel's voice, and an angel is what she is. And uh, and when I first spoke to her on the phone, actually, that's the thing I said. I after the phone call, I thought I said aloud, I said I've just spoken to an angel. But uh, you know, I'd never really um, been out with anyone. I had a relationship with anyone in in the same business actually you know singer or songwriter right and sometimes you think maybe that's not going to be a good thing but uh, definitely in our case it's it's one of the great things that we can share music and and work on music and in fact she you know i've been playing guitar for i don't what 50 years right and i'm not a great not a great guitarist at all but uh, she taught herself to play the guitar and then, but she's taught me so much of, uh, she's the one that taught me about a capital. I never worked, I never used a capodestra before. And uh, that changed a lot of my playing, a lot of my writing. And what did you, you know, call you, it? I didn't hear, what did you say? A, a capodestra. What is that? It's a capo. Oh, oh, gotcha. Okay. We, yeah. a, a, a capo, we say here in the States. So so, I never good. heard the formal full word of it. Yeah. I didn't even know it was abbreviated. <laughs> I was showing off there. Yeah, that was good, oh, man. You took me, you well, knocked I me thought, for a listen, loop. <laughs> listen, I thought, well, you're the professional, I should think. I better use the real term here. <laughs> so you can tell your friends now. It's called a I guess that must be a Spanish word. I'm sure it's not an English word. Yeah, I gotta Google that one, man, and get the spelling yeah, and everything. I'm gonna throw that out at the next like party that I'm at in Nashville, and just like everybody's gonna look at me like, whoa, you know? <laughs> hey, anyone got a capodestra? Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was like uh, calling a medic they, or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, they might say, "Listen, I thought we gave up drugs." Yeah, <laughs> not a chance, right? <laughs> Hey, so tell me a little bit about social media. Um, I've, I've noticed you're on uh, you're on Facebook, of course, and uh, I've seen some of your great posts. What are your favorite platforms um, if you have multiples? I think we might be connected on Instagram. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I don't. Um, I haven't got into Instagram. I haven't got into Twitter at all. I don't understand okay. it. I can't do it. Right. Uh, listen, uh, people put down Facebook. Um, I think it's great, really. I'm I'm happy with that place, and uh, yeah, I've got a lot of lot of good friends on there. I mean, I might have five thousand friends, but I'd say I've probably got a hundred and hundred and fifty good friends on there. Right. And 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 people find you, and you can find people. You know, that's the thing, because everyone's on it. It's a great way of, you know, if you want to find someone, they don't have to get in touch with you if they don't want to. Yeah. So it's a it's it's a good tool all round, and I think I can't see anything wrong with it. So, um, but you know, I mean, the internet generally is amazing. Google is obviously incredible, and uh, 
yeah, let's just love the whole thing. There's no, there's hardly a negative I've got to say about it. And certainly, as you were saying, um, as far as sharing music on the internet that we're able to do, it's it's magic, really. It's what we used to talk about in the 70s. What if you could get, you know, a guitarist in Los Angeles to play down the phone lines on a track that we're doing in London? Yeah. And now it's now it's reality, isn't it? So yeah, one of the things. One of the things I'm hoping for, and I've, I've been kind of beating the drum about this for quite some time, is that um, we're slowly but surely, I feel, finding a way um, to get artists um, compensation for their intellectual properties, which has been a challenge because all the sharing and giving away and stealing and all the crazy stuff that goes on, I think it's it's finally um, starting to slowly find its its right place with all that's happened with, you know, the music business as we used to know it kind of crashed and burned in 2008, 2009. And it's, I think it's slowly uh, resurrecting itself in a completely different way where artists seem to have, you know, figured out a way to get more control over their, you know, over their livelihood in in a way that some of them are doing it really, really well. Cause I'm always asking people on this show, like, what are you doing? How are you doing it? What can you share to help others? And some of them are really out there doing a great job and and making a good living doing it. So my hope is that, you know, the future continues to get better in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you have to be a bit wary. I've found uh, personally when I've been releasing uh, records myself, you know, I I, um, you have to be a bit wary of Spotify, I think. It's not 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 good to name names, but you know I love Spotify. Right. But uh, you know the royalties that they're giving out, you know, is um, is so ridiculously minimal that you know if you're an artist starting out that wants to really make some money from release releasing, you know, then Spotify isn't the best place. It's a great right. place for big artists to share their to share their music. You know, maybe artists that don't need that aren't uh, worried about the pennies so much, you know. Well, Taylor, Taylor Swift, one of the biggest artists, took her all her catalog off of there, off of Spotify. Yeah. And it, you know, and uh, but you know, the little guy doesn't have that opportunity. I always say that you know, those streaming services. I love them as a consumer, hate them as an artist because it's like that's it. That's it's right. Just, yeah, that's it's right. just awful because you're just yeah. you feel like you're just not being treated well. So, so I think the path is if you can protect your you know, your fort, if you will, your castle, which is your, all your intellectual property and find just certain avenues or certain streets yeah. to go down without going down every one and find the one that has the most gold on it. Then you do that. And I think people are starting yeah. to figure that out. Hey, give me yeah. the best story that you can remember of something that happened in the studio with one of your artists, your bands, anything like unusual or hysterically funny or like a crazy night or something that just unimaginable happened. You probably have a, a bunch of them, but can you share one? <laughs> All right. Yeah, here goes one. Uh, I'll try and do it in less than 10 minutes. Okay. okay. <laughs> so it's about 1982, 83. Uh, it might have been a bit later. Anyway, Elton John is in the studio making an album. Um, this particular day in the morning, he said, um, I've written this new song. I want to record it later on. I want to do a demo of it. Actually, it's an instrumental so, um, you know, he said this and, uh, anyway, it got to about 11 o'clock at night, been working all day. Everyone's very tired. Pretty much everyone's gone home. We're about to go home. Elton says, I forgot, you know, I really want to put this, uh, 
I want to put this demo down, this idea. So he said, it won't take a minute. It'll only take a minute. So that should have been the signal, really, only take a minute. You ever heard that one in the studio? Anyway, yeah, all so, the time. Um, so I put a bit of tape on the multi-track. I wasn't the producer. Clive, my friend who I was telling you about, was the producer. So we put a bit of tape on, I put a multi-track on. Elton goes out, starts playing this piece, this uh, piano piece. And it, uh, it goes, da, 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 da. It's a nice tune, you know, it was an interesting tune. It's quite unlike anything I heard Elton play before, actually. Anyway, he gets about 30 seconds in, makes a mistake. I rewind the tape, put it in a record. He starts playing again, da, 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 da. Gets 40 seconds in, makes a mistake. Rewind the tape, da, 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 da. Minute and a half in. Anyway, he's not the most patient guy, Elton. So he's getting annoyed with himself now because he said it would only take a minute and he keeps messing it up, you know. So, um he starts to get red in the face. You know, he knows he's keeping us back. Anyway, I put the tape on again. Da, 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 da. This ha this went on for about an hour. He keeps making mistakes. And now he's really getting, I'm not going to swear. He's getting annoyed. <laughs> getting annoyed starting with a P and ending in st. Anyway, so um, on this one occasion, he's got a long way into it. He's three minutes in or whatever, and he's da, 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 da. And it's a good tune, you know. It's, it's definitely we're getting into this tune. I look down at the multi-track now, and I realized that I didn't put a full reel on. Yeah, you're out of time. Was, uh, <laughs> you know, it was a, I don't know, there was, it, I thought it's not going to be that long, so I should be okay. <clears throat> so I'm, th I'm saying to Clive, how long is this song? He said, well, I don't know, we never got this far, you know, I don't know how long it is. So I now I look down, I think, do you know what, there's not a lot of tape left here. And of course, it's a ridiculous th thing to think that I would run out of tape. So we didn't think about that. Anyway, he must be finished soon. So now we'll look, look in the studio and he's playing away. Da, 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 and he's just not stopping, you know. And now I look down at the reel and it's, it's, it's getting there. <laughs> and, now, and now we have to consider the most ridiculous possibility that I run out of tape. The very only time that he's... Um, going to complete this track, you know, and then what would we do? You know, he'll just kill us. He'll just go mad. So now we're sweating. It's getting very hot in the studio. And I don't know, you must have worked on analog. Yeah. You must have yes. worked on analog. Yeah. Right? And you know that when the, when the tapes like, cause you can't really see how much tapes left because there's that bit of plastic in the middle. Yeah. So, you know, were you, on, can, you were on a big multi, you were on a Studer, like a big multi-track when you were doing yeah, this. Yeah. Okay. MCI two inch. Okay. But but really, James, it's now really, really, really getting towards the end. <laughs> and we know it is, you know. Right. So we're like willing we're willing him to end this bloody song, you know. Yeah. But I, I swear this is no word of a lie, otherwise I wouldn't be telling it fifty years later. That he finished the last chord and as the last chord disappeared, the tape ran out. Wow. Just almost so like he, it was custom made for that song. <laughs> So we both we both collapsed on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> so what, did it did it make it to an album? Do we know this piece, or did it did just it make it to an album? Right. Well, forty years later, you'll probably find while I've been recounting this song, it's being played somewhere in the world. Okay. Right. It's called song. It's called song for guy. Oh yeah. It was, on, it was on an album called. Um, actually, I can't remember the name of the album. 
that's not very good. Yeah, I don't anyway, remember. I yeah, I remember the song. Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. he play, he used uh, to play alive too. Yeah, because basically, uh, I didn't. Even, we didn't even tell him what went on. Right. Because we we were just so relieved that we didn't have to leave the country, and because that's what I was thinking <laughs> of doing. If we run out of tape, let's just split. Yeah. <laughs> That is Someone a good story. They've had a heart attack. Or anyway, yeah. I, but, um, you know, after he did this one piano, he then did another piano and, and then he did some more keyboards and it just built up into this great track and it became his first number one in the UK and it, it was like a massive, massive hit. So it, that's a, it definitely had magic beginnings and then that magic kind of continued. You know? Wow, that's, that's an amazing story. Hey, let's play another one of your... Um, legacy songs. This is for you, you folks who are bad company fans. Paul Rogers and Alibi. Check this one out.
All right, all right. Paul Rogers with Alibi. What a great track, and good to hear Paul. We were just talking about what an awesome singer Paul Rogers is. And, uh, you know, another great one that, that you, you've worked with, um, you know, I'm sure you've done other tracks with, with Paul as well. Um, listen, as we're, as we're getting to the end here, Stuart, this, is, this has been phenomenal. Can you give us any, like, um, well, first of all, we want to give you your website out. Let's do that so people can, uh, can connect with you. And again, if you guys didn't hear it uh, earlier, Stuart has made himself available to um, all of the musical community, indie artists that are out there looking for help. If you've got, you know, you're a passionate writer, singer, songwriter, musician, whatever, um, you can go to Stuart's website, which is amazing, by the way, the content on there. And you can really just um, select what is good for you and reach out to Stuart. So um, any um, any parting words, Stu, that um, you can share with us? Uh, any advice for some of these up and coming singer songwriters and artists? Um, well, I mean, the advice is to get in touch with me immediately and uh, <laughs> let's, let's do some recording together. But, um, you know, I suppose uh, one thing I find that, um, you know, some artists try and be everything to, to everything. I mean, you were just mentioning that yourself, that you you play guitar. I'm sure you're great guitarist. You play, you know, and you can play in bands, but sometimes you want to put a producer, you know, you, you prefer to put your producer's hat on and, uh, you know, and concentrate on that. And I think that's a very good comment that you made. And I think that that's what some youngsters ought to think more about when they're getting into the music business. You know, don't worry so much about you know, that you're not the producer or you're not the engineer, you're not designing your own sleeve, you know, you're not taking your own photos or making your own videos. <clears throat> Sometimes it's just enough to be able to be the artist or the singer or the, even the songwriter or the lyricist, you know, because ever, there's so many great parts that go to make up um, great music and great, great records that, you know, I think just being a part of that is has certainly been okay for me you know i can sing i like to play but um being you know the producer on a project is just as good for me and just as exciting and i think that that's the only thing sometimes youngsters feel like they have to do every part of uh, the process otherwise they don't feel like they've um you know achieved achieved enough and i and i think they you ought to think because really i think in this day and age you know there's so many doing it you know there's so much amazing competition that you really have to be great. It, the, everything has to be that good. And yeah. so, um, you know, and sometimes that takes a team. It takes a team effort. You know, I often quote artists from the past that I work with. So if you think about Elton John, you know, when I first met him, he was the lyricist and writing the music. And he just figured, well, and we figured as well, that his lyrics weren't great. In fact, they were pretty awful. So, right. You know, it was a big thing, or it wasn't a big thing for him. He put an advert in the paper for a lyricist. Uh, Bernie Taupin answers the advert, and they've been together for 50 years writing amazing songs. And, yeah, Elton gives Bernie half the royalties for writing the song, but what a team, you know. And, and if yeah. Elton would have stayed writing the words, probably no one would have heard of Elton John. So, you know, sometimes it's good to seek out other people to work with while you're doing what you do that's my advice anyway yeah that's great and and really it's um you, to that point Stuart I used to be one of those you know as a younger man hey, I can do all this myself and then I really didn't understand 
the value of a producer until I had the first experience with one. And then you get to see um, how great, you know, your song might be good, but your song has a chance to be great if you surround yourself with great people. And that includes this opportunity to work with the one and only Stuart Epps. So what are you folks waiting for? Get out there, man. (laughs) Hey, Stuart, listen, it was a really wonderful interview. I'm so happy you came on the Dharmic Evolution, shared your stories, your music, your career, your, you know, all the things, the great things that you've done in your, in your past and are doing right now in your present. So, uh, I just want to say God bless you and all the best success in the world continue to follow you. Thank you, James. Absolutely the same to you. Cheers. Do you ever wonder why you were created and what you're here to do? Then the geography of the soul will help you to find your true place in this world. The music is so inspirational, including tracks such as I Want to Be Loved, State of Grace and Ride On. James Kevin O'Connor is an internationally acclaimed singer, songwriter, music producer, entertainment agent, TV star, and a loving father who leads you to find your true place and calms your mind and soul in breathtaking ways. Buy Geography of the Soul today by James Kevin O'Connor at iTunes. CD Baby, Amazon, JamesKevinO'Connor.com, Geography of the Soul, a beautiful CD that you need to own today by James Kevin O'Connor. Sponsored by the James O'Connor Agency. Right Love, Wrong Time with Aaron Boomer. Automania with Aunt Campbell. Bring It On Home with Juliet Epps. And Alibi with Paul Rogers. Stewart continues to seek out talented artists around the world and help them leverage their abilities to go beyond the barrier of limitation. That's Stuart Epps. That's what he does. I hope you guys really enjoyed the interview today with Stuart, a creatively talented man and a real gentleman. Hey, if you have not yet, you should head over to the James O'Connor Agency. If you have not visited this site, you got to check it out. Lots of artists around the world are starting to check in and take advantage of all the things this agency is offering them. No matter where you are in your career, we've got your back. Check out our copper plan on the site. Your brand in a 30-second TV and radio commercial broadcast for one month on three to five TV and radio stations run at the same time with good frequency of one to seven days per week. This package is for local TV and radio stations and will broadcast your brand and your message up to 125,000 people in your area. You can email us at the agency and we will custom design a plan for you. Here's another one. Do you need funding for your next album project? Well, go to the jamesoconneragency.com. Let us connect you with the masters at this. How to get funded. It's easier than you think. Find out what we do for singer-songwriters, musical artists, as well as authors, speakers, and thought leaders. We also want to encourage you to visit dharmicevolution.com. Check out your show and blog profile right now. If you've been on this show, you are now on the site. Stuart is now on the site. 
And people from around the world are logging in to see and hear all about Stuart Epps, his music, his project, his stories. That's it for me today. I'm your host for the Dharmic Evolution, James Kevin O'Connor, singer-songwriter, audio-video artist, master storyteller, and international talent agent. So until the next time when we meet again, I'll either see you on the stage or I'll see you on TV. I remember where I was The first time that I heard your voice Do you remember where you were The first time that you made that choice You're my favorite song You've been stuck in my heart For such a long, long time You're my favorite song Before I would bleed to death Your infectious melody Will be with me till my last deep breath But you're my favorite song You've been stuck in my heart For such a long, long time You're my favorite song You got a way of making me feel that you're mine Oh, you know I love a double zero Hey, baby, you're the perfect size for me Oh, and how I love those yellow stilettos You always knew how to annihilate